everyone. You are listening to episode 13 of the Chasing Bravery podcast. Today I'm speaking with Tara Welling, a professional runner for Skechers, real estate agent, and most recently a coach for the specialized coaching business, Run Doyen. Guys, just so everyone knows, Doyen is another word for coach, but specifically means a master at something, which I think is a really cool word to use. And please don't judge me too much. I asked Tara what it meant because I thought it might have been another language, so <laughs> not the brightest moment on the show for me so far. <laughs> um, so Tara and her husband currently live in Portland, Oregon, where Tor- Tara trains with High Performance West. Tara first turned pro in 2012, signing with Nike and the Oregon Project, but after three years of enduring injuries and subpar performances, she was feeling burnt out and decided to leave the sport indefinitely. She didn't know when or if she would return, but she knew she needed a break and a new training environment. In late 2015, Tara started to get in shape again and fell back in love with running, joining High Performance West and signing a deal with Skechers Performance. Since her comeback, Tara has set PRs in every distance and won noteworthy road national titles, but unfortunately has not been able to escape injuries. I'm going to quote Tara here because she puts it best. She says, I never considered myself injury prone before. However, having osteoporosis and the female athlete triad, I have had to alter my training to put me in the best position possible to stay healthy. I now have a lower mileage program with lots of cross training and weightlifting, and I hope those listening can gain something from my story. I know that I gained a lot from my conversation with Tara. She's a fantastic example of how it is more than possible to come back from injury and setback with a love for the sport that is still as strong as ever. Tara is also upfront about a really important topic, the female athlete triad. And while we don't come up with the solution on the show today, we have a conversation that is very transparent about the issue which I think is a great first step no matter who you are. Athlete, coach, parent, the list goes on. It's just an important thing to be talking about. Before we get to the episode, if you haven't, please head over to iTunes and leave a rating and review for the show. It goes such a long way in helping new listeners find the show, and your feedback helps me improve. All right, everyone, now on to my conversation with Tara. Hi, Tara. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, so... Uh, why don't, for everyone listening, you give an introduction as to who you are and what it is that you do? Yeah, my name is Tara Welling. I'm 28 and I live in Portland, Oregon. And I currently I am a professional runner at Skechers Performance. And I also do a little bit of coaching and own a business with my husband. And I'm also a real estate agent. So I have a lot going on and I stay busy and I found that this is what works best for me. Mm. So um, I'm very curious about Run Doyen. I know that's your new business. How is that? How do you how do you pronounce it? Yeah, it's called Run Doyen. That was correct. Yeah. Yeah. So go ahead and tell us a little bit more about what that is. Yeah. So my husband and I, we started this um online coaching business and it's a little bit different uh, model than what is currently out there on the market. We have a video chat session where um, someone who's interested in talking with a professional runner about their own training, um, getting advice for training or even getting coaching, um, they can sign up and pay for video chat sessions, which are face-to-face um, through the computer. And then if they decide to be coached 
um, by one of our doyens is what we call them. Um, they can purchase a plan and have interactive training log with the coach where they can leave comments. And we uh, teamed up with Final Surge. So that's how all of our training platforms are used. Oh, so very we're, cool. we're pretty excited. It's it's new and um, it's a little bit different than what's out there. So we've got some good feedback and we're, we're pretty excited for it. That is very cool. So how are you guys going to divvy up like the response or like the responsibility, I guess, like, is it just going to be full team effort or are you each going to have your own athletes? Yeah. So each, um, Doyen or coach will have their own athletes. We have a few, um, kind of a variation of people on board. Um, along with myself, we have Ryan Vale, who's another, uh, marathoner, uh, Aaron Braun out of Flagstaff, Scott Boz, and then we have Jessica Tun and Alan Webb, who are a little bit more focused on the shorter distances um, in terms of track, but there's pretty much something out there for everyone. So we, we've kind of covered all the distances. That is very cool. And what does the word doyen mean? <laughs> it's, um, yeah, if you were to look look it up, um, it, it basically means someone who is an expert in a certain area. So we like to use coach because that's what's familiar to most people, but um, Doyen is someone who is skilled in a certain area or expertise. I love that. It's like mastery of something. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's a there's a coach out there for everything, so we wanted to you know do something new and have a new approach to it. Yeah, I, I really like that terminology. I didn't. I did not. I've never heard of that word before, actually. Yeah, um, neither had we until we used it. <laughs> where where are the, its origins? Like, is it just, is that, is it, I probably sound completely ridiculous right now, but is it uh, part of the English language? It's just not a terminology I've heard before. No, I don't think it's, I don't know, like, honestly, I don't know where it came from. I gotcha. know we were just, we basically just looked up all these synonyms for coach. What oh. could we use instead of coach? Perfect. Okay. Um, and that's where it came from. Okay. Um, all right. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. I was like, no, that's okay. I was like, is that another language? I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah. So um, you, you're a professional runner. I think that that's probably how a lot of the listeners uh, know you as. Um, uh-huh. So I would love to hear a little bit about your um, – 2016 training and running and um I'm very interested in how you managed to come back from injury um and I know that you have a lot of um a lot of uh background with um cross training for bone health Mm -hmm. specifically because of um your own injury um so why don't you talk a little bit about about that Yeah. So 2016, uh, for me professionally was a really good year. Um, I had both of my road titles come in the half marathon and the 15 K. And then I went on to compete in the 2016 Olympic trials, um, in the 10 K and the 5 K. So 2016 for, for me was really awesome. I set PRs in every distance, that I ran from the 1500 up to the half marathon. Um, and everyone kind of sees your performances 
but I don't think they really know what happens um, outside of those performances. You know, they, they see the fast times come, but before 2016, um, there was quite a few setbacks and I was coming back from an injury. So I had some races leading up in like the fall of 2015 um, and even the beginning of 2016 where I just kind of found myself uh, doubting my fitness and if I was ever going to be able to return to that same fitness level. Um, It seems crazy to think that, you know, I could – I could think that like, oh, how am I ever going to get back to, you know, being fit how I was in, you know, 2013 and mm-hmm. before that. Um, it almost seems impossible because you've been so far away. But I used a few races um, in 2015 and early 2016 and to try and get my fitness back. And I was just like, I don't know if I can do this. You know, like I was running, you know, relatively slow for myself. Um, it may, it may seem fast in, in other people's eyes, but it's all relative. When I was trying to get back. Yeah. When I was trying to get back to like, you know, top performances, you know, I ran a 10 K, uh, on the roads and I ran like 34 minutes or something. And I remember calling my coach and I was just like, I don't know if I can do this anymore. Like I'm never going to be able to run. I had to hit the Olympic trials qualifier, which was 32, gosh, I don't know, 3210 or something. That sounds 32, right. 15. <clears throat> yeah. And I had just run like 34, you know, something on the roads. And I just found myself like doubting myself a lot in late in 2015 and early 2016. And I think that's a lot of what runners struggle with. And what a lot of people don't see is that leading up to all these great performances, there's a lot of you know, injuries, there's a lot of bad workouts, there's a lot of bad races, and they kind of get brushed under the mat where they don't, they don't come to light because a lot of runners, um, actually, I don't want to say a lot of runners, but it's easier to tell the good stories. Mm. You know, it's easier to show everything that's going great and all these awesome workouts that have, that you're having. Um, but no one talks about the bad workouts that you just can't finish or, you know, the, <laughs> the days you just feel terrible, you know, doing a long run. Um, and that was kind of my 2015 and early 2016. Um, there was a lot of bad workouts in there and there was a lot of, you know, self-doubt and I got to the point where, you know, it was in the half marathon where I was just like, I don't care anymore. Like, I'm just going to go race. I didn't have a good three weeks of training before that. I was like, man, if I could just run like 78 minutes, that's probably going to be good considering the workouts I've done, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but when I went into that race um, and a lot of, you know, 2016, the races that I did have that, that went well, it was more of not necessarily forgetting the work that you've done, but just being in the moment of the race and putting your best foot forward to have the best performance you can, not really dwelling on all the workouts and where you should be and where you should be going. Um, and I think that's why I had a lot of success in 2016, um, on the roads and on the track is I, I didn't focus on everything else. I just focused on what can be my best performance hmm. today. 
you know, and it was a lot easier and it was a lot more fun racing like that, <laughs> yeah. being stressed out. And so I, I find that to be very interesting because I, um, I do a lot of work with mindfulness in my profession and I talk a lot about, um, how difficult it is to be present and to like be fully aware of the moment that you're in without putting too much emphasis on, you know, everything leading up to that moment and everything that could come after that moment, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. and I think it almost, when you were talking, I was like, it kind of almost sounds like she was like practicing mindful racing. Like kind of sounds like you found yourself in a position where you were like, well, you know, my workouts haven't been going great and I kind of don't really have much to lose. So why don't I just be in the moment and do what I can in this race? Um, yeah. Which sounds very liberating. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, yeah, it was a lot less stressful and, you know, I, I did have some races in 2016 where I was, you know, really stressed out. I was like, I had to, I basically had to win or get on the podium or else, you know, I didn't reach my goal. And I just found that those races never went well. Mm. You know, yeah. I was always having subpar performances. You know, if, if the race wasn't going really well, it was going really bad. And those times that they went really bad is because I was putting a lot of stress on myself of trying to live up to some expectation instead of just enjoying racing for what it is. And those fast times come when, you know, you're just in it to, in it to race and not worry about other expectations that you may have on you or put on yourself. Totally. Well, and I think it's very interesting, you know, how different individuals and different athletes respond to those types of pressures. Um, Mm -hmm. because I think like, um, I'm a runner myself and I think that I've always looked at individuals who seem to really thrive under pressure and be just like very, um, very envious, I guess, or very, um, like curious, like how are they doing that? Because I kind of fall apart under pressure. Um, and, and also, you know, thinking to myself like, well, how am I, how can I fix this within myself? Like almost like it's like a flaw. And I think Mm -hmm. that, you know, and maybe I'm wrong, but I kind of think that, um, it's not necessarily like you don't, that's not necessarily something that you have to try to fix in yourself. Like it's, it's, if you don't do well under pressure, it's okay. Like that's just part of who you are and you have to figure out a way to create situations for yourself in which you can, race to your fullest potential without feeling that pressure that can be crippling, you know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, with that being said, with your, um, with your 2016 season, um, I kind of want to go back a little bit and talk about, um, your history with injury and then coming back from that injury. And, um, I guess talk to me a little bit about what, your process was in like sort of gaining back that momentum. I know that a lot of it was mindset and that kind of thing, but um, I'm sure that there were some things that you changed probably physically, like in your workouts and the things that you were doing and also maybe like your environment that also helped as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, in 
2015. I forget. I've had I've had quite a few injuries. I don't remember the dates of them. <laughs> but yeah, I've had two. Um, I've had two pelvic fractures and two um, tibial structure stress fractures. So I've had my fair share of uh, bone injuries and I, I dealt with Achilles tendonitis um, back in 2013, but that was my only uh, soft tissue tendon injury. And um, coming back from bone, I guess some people would say it's easier because it's not as finicky um, with dealing, you know, with it, with an Achilles tendon or plantar fasciitis, you know, it's basically six to eight weeks and then you're healed. Mm-hmm. Um, but the long lasting effects of that, of that is, you know, with, with bone health, um, it's something that I constantly have to manage now. Um, whereas if it was just soft tissue, you know, maybe it's just a one and done type of thing, but, um, yeah, for, for bones, it's something that's constantly on my mind now. And I know that, my bones aren't as healthy as other people. So I can't do the workload Mm. that other people can do. Um, so I do a lot more cross training now and I run a lot on soft surfaces. So when we're training for the roads and longer distances, um, like in 2016, I, I was doing a lot on the pavement and, uh, I, I basically just kept getting, <laughs> kept getting injured. Mm. So, um, I, I started into integrating cross training. Now I do, uh, the spin. I, I typically, my choice is to go do like a spin class at the gym or ride the bike. Um, I have very little patience with the elliptical. I just get bored and, <laughs> I don't know. I just, I'm, I'm not a gym rat. Like I'd rather just go run, you I know, know. I'd, I'd rather run a hundred miles a week than go do a 30 minute elliptical session. Um, but it's just kind of the cards I was dealt. So yeah, so that's kind of what my training looks like. It's about 70 to 80 miles a week now, um, with supplementing cross training and what was the other thing that you asked about? <laughs> um, just sort of your training environment. Like, you know, if that has made any difference in your um, in your health and your mindset about running. Because um, I know that that's important for a lot of runners. They kind of attribute that to their success or their lack of. <laughs> yeah. So in 20... Um, 15, I think it was, I, I, uh, switched up my training environment. I'm still here in Portland. Um, I, that was around the time when I started running with, um, Skechers and high performance West and, uh, coached by Jonathan Marcus. So I have a very different training environment now. It's a, it's a small group, uh, ranging from 800 meters to myself, like more marathon and half marathon focused. Um, I typically, I have girls to run with, uh, on easy days, but most of my workouts are solo or maybe somehow integrated into somebody else's workout. Um, for instance, I could have like two mile repeats and someone else may have 1200 of that two mile. Mm -hmm. Um, so my coach really tries to 
individualize our training, but at the same time have us overlap where there's a possibility. Um, he doesn't want to ever sacrifice somebody else's training for the benefit of somebody else's. Mm. But if he can overlap that, then it helps out, you know, all parties essentially, because we can take turns um, sharing the workload and, you know, just getting through the workout, knowing that there's other people around you, or it could just simply be that we're all on the track at the same time and you have your teammates around you, even if you're doing the work by yourself. Um, Yeah, I bet that makes a huge difference. Yeah, it does. It's really helpful. Then just, you know, I've had workouts where it's just me and my coach out there and it's likely they probably don't go as well as when I have, you know, four other girls working out. Yeah. Um, Those can be pretty awful. (laughs) Those like, yeah, it's just so low. (laughs) Quiet. There's not much adrenaline, you know, it's probably pouring down rain in Portland. So (laughs) right. The weather's probably awful. (laughs) Yeah. It's not like a nice sunny day typically, (laughs) except today. It's pretty nice. So yeah, Um, I, uh, I can totally relate with that struggle. I, I um, was just talking on a podcast episode the other week about how I dread solo track workouts because I just have this tendency to turn into like a giant baby and make Mm -hmm. every excuse in the book in my head and I totally turn into like the victim and then I am so mad at myself because I'm like, (laughs) what am I doing right now? Like I'm being a total brat about this and it like is just so embarrassing to like reflect back on but Mm -hmm. I don't know. I just – I. I crave that energy, just like a little bit of energy from either a person next to me or just having like people there. I don't know. It makes all the difference. So I totally get yeah, that. Yeah, it does. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Um, well, so with your, your uh, bone health issues, mm-hmm. are, is that, does that impact like your future training plans? Like um, I, I, like, what are, like, will you ever, like, really, really seriously train for a marathon because of some of that stuff? Yeah, um, I've, I've attempted to try two marathons now, and they've both, um, they have not panned out. I was originally going to, uh, debut in LA in 2015, I think it was, or 2016, and then, um, that one didn't work out. So I was going to do New New York last year. And that was when I got my sacrum fracture. Mm -hmm. So I have yet to be able to run a marathon. Um, but I think, I think maybe this year, um, I'll be able to run a marathon. I, I will, um, that's, that's my priority right now is, you know, getting to a marathon starting line healthy. Um, I, I think we know how to do that now that we've done it wrong twice. Um, I mean, it's not all on my coach either. You know, it's, I'm partly stubborn and I love to run a lot. So, (laughs) you know, I, I don't like to cross train, but for me, I know that my breaking point is a hundred miles a week. You know, if, if I do that for two to three weeks in a row, and I'm on pavement, I get a stress fracture. It's just, it's happened three times now. And it, it'd be foolish of me to think it's not going to happen <laughs> again. Mm. 
Yeah. Um, It'd be like, what is the definition of craziness or whatever? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's like doing the same thing and expecting a different outcome. (laughs) Which I have to be honest is kind of almost like the definition of a runner. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. In a lot of ways. Um, So I always find that really interesting because I've had people say that to me before. I actually... um, one of the reasons why I really wanted to get you on the podcast was because um, you were requested, actually. But also, um, oh. yeah, yeah, people, people, um, people want to hear your story. Um, but also, my, I have had a lot of bone health issues and um, just find that I break so easily and mm-hmm. have. I mean, I have the bones of someone who is like in their sixties. Um, yeah, yeah, and it's frustrating because, Mm -hmm. you know, you feel like you're capable of so much more and it's hard to like reframe that narrative in your mind where you're like, cause like, I I think I had a period of time where I thought of myself as like weak and I thought of myself as like incapable and it took a long time to like reframe that and to, um, not have those thoughts running through my mind every time my foot hit the ground. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and so I was curious about what your marathon training looked like because um, I'm actually a, on my third attempt at running a marathon and I think I've finally figured it out, but it's taken like a ton of failed cycles to figure out what's actually going to work. And um, it's difficult to be someone who's injury prone. I think partly because you – have that fear, kind of like what you were talking about before, about how if it's something that's more like plantar fasciitis or something like that, then it might be easier to be like, okay, it's done, it's over with, it's taken care of. But if you know you have a tendency to break, Mm -hmm. it's something that you're almost almost expecting. Like, especially if it's happened a lot, you are almost like, oh, if I, like, when is it going to happen? I know it's going to happen again. And it's really hard to get out of that mindset. Yeah, it is. And um I've I've had enough stress fractures now that you know, I I go into the to see my PT Carl at Rose City and you know, the last two times I've gone in there, you know, I I basically self-diagnosed myself before I even walked in there and he just wrote up the MRI. You know, like there was I it's 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 that bad that I know exactly what's breaking, you know, and when it happens. Um, so yeah, I, I do have, um, osteoporosis. It's, uh, it's genetic in my family, partly. Um, my mom has on my mom's side, there's a history of osteopenia and osteoporosis. Um, so I'm genetically predisposed to it. I also grew up not drinking milk or really eating a lot of dairy product, um, just by choice. I didn't like it. So, I probably missed out on a lot of kind of bone building years without those. Um, And, you know, being a female runner, it's, you know, being talked about more, but the female athlete triad and disordered eating. Sure. um, I went through my own stage with that in uh, later college. And when I first turned pro, um, partly I was in, you know, a high stakes environment, uh, training and I was the only female. And at the same time, um, my mom had breast cancer. So there was a lot going on and I kind of risked those years, you know, struggling with disordered eating and, you know, being too light. Um, that really played a flat, played, played a factor in my bones now, 
Um, luckily, there's still treatment out there to help that. Um, mm -hmm. I work with a nutritionist, so it's not that I'm uh, picky with my eating now, but I really have to be mindful of what I'm eating because I take a ton of calcium compared to the typical person, and I have a lot of supplements because you need those in order to absorb different nutrients. Right. Um, so it, it's really dialed in now and it's really exciting for me because I feel like I'm at a point now where I can do something about it. Um, but it's constantly on my mind, you know, like when I go for a run and I'm coming back from my latest stress fracture, but you know, you go for a run and it's like, it's almost like a, a paranoia, you know, of oh like, God. oh my God, is, is something hurting? I'm okay. Like, yeah. you know, you're, you're always waiting for it. Um, so now we we're focusing on another marathon, uh, this year. And my whole goal is to just stay healthy. Um, I won't go over 80 miles a week, um, running on land and I've got permission to use an alter G. So that's going to be supplemented into, my training. Um, we don't know exactly where we're going to use the alter G, whether it's, you know, because I need those marathon workouts on land or on asphalt, um, on the roads, uh, you, you have to expose your body to those conditions for, to prepare for the marathon, but it might be using an alter G after those really hard marathon workouts or taking a day off or, you know, spinning on the bike. Um, I won't, I wouldn't want to do it by choice. If I had to write my own training plan, you know, that's, I wouldn't want to do that. But knowing my bone health, um, it's, it's just the position that I'm at and I'd rather, you know, be 5% less fit getting to a marathon starting line than be injured. Um, mm. that's kind of how I'm looking at it now. Whereas my approach was before was like, I got to be as fit as possible when I get to the marathon, you know, but you could actually do better if you're hundred percent healthy and 95% fit. <laughs> yeah. Well, so. I think, I think that that's a really, really important, uh, point to make, um, for everyone listening, because I think that it's very often that people feel that way. And I've heard it said before, um, by coaches, not by athletes that, it's more ideal to get to the start of a marathon line healthy as opposed to, like you said, 100% fit because, you know, it's it's more likely that you will actually complete the race and have a good race <laughs> yeah, if that's like the case. Injuries, you know, just like there's, there's something like squirrely going on or there's a little like niggle here and you're just not fully healthy, you know, that's going to be on your mind when you're in the starting line. Right. And I would have a much better conscience going into a marathon and being like, I'm hundred percent healthy. I've done all the work I can possibly do and I can just race, you know, instead of having to think about what I could have done differently in terms of fitness. And, you know, it's just, it's just this first priority for me is, getting to the marathon, you know, healthy. Yeah. Well, I'm excited that you get to use an Alter G and that kind of thing. It sounds like you've really figured out how to supplement your training in a way that you will be able to get to the start line healthy. Yeah. Yeah. With the Alter G and, um, you know, biking, I, I don't, I don't, it's not that I don't like it. Um, I would just prefer running, but I know, 
for me that if I have to cross train that day, I have to go at like, as soon as I open my eyes in the morning at like 5.45 or 6 o'clock. Because if I think about it too long, then, you'll avoid it. <laughs> yeah, I'll want to avoid it. And so it's just, it's come a part of like my training now is if I have to cross train that day, I just go early. You know, I wake up at five and just go get it done. I don't think about it. I don't let myself dwell on it. It's just, it's become like a thing that I just have to do. Um, so I, I won't run over 80 miles a week. And um, I'm running a lot on soft surfaces. So luckily, Portland has a lot of uh, trails and wood chips. So I will run on asphalt. Um, but there's a lot of dirt trails and wood chips where if I can, if I can do, you know, 90% of my runs on that and the rest on asphalt, then at least I know I'm putting myself in a good position to not get hurt. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I have one last question that I think, well, okay. So I guess my curiosity when it comes to kind of what we've been talking about, and you mentioned the female athlete triad, mm-hmm. um, so what I keep coming back to with this is, is it, is some of this preventable? Because I remember myself as a young athlete, as a, t- as like a 13, 14 year old. And then like when I was in college and under a lot of pressure and stress, um, before, you know, my maturity had really developed and I found myself like in that pattern, in that cycle that you see, that you hear repeated over and over and over again. And I keep thinking to myself, like, what, what needs to be in place in order for that to not happen to girls and women? Um, and it's kind of, I guess, a baffling question to me because I know myself, I, I, I just remember how like determined I was and also how, um, how easy it is when you're in that environment to just like make so, so many cognitive errors, like thinking that like what you're doing is healthy when it's really not. And mm-hmm. it's not even necessarily so much about the food as it is about just like you're in this like hyper obsessive mode, I guess. Um, and I don't know if I could have been easily talked out of that. You know, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's um, it's very much a, a control thing. Yeah, um, it's less about the food and it's more about having uh, control over it. So, if you think about times when it generally happens, is uh, later in high school and in college years when um, there's a lot of change happening in general. People going away to college, you know, high school is a whole nother stress level. Um, but it becomes like a self-control thing um, that I think, you know, male males do it also, but it's less uh, talked about or less heard of um, compared to females. But yeah, it becomes, it becomes a control thing and it's something you have control over and you do see uh, results from it, which is good and bad. Mm -hmm. Um, When you kind of fall into that trap, you start getting faster you know, your times drop and it's seen as a good thing because you're running faster, which is what you're supposed to do if, if you're a runner in college, right? right. No one wants to see you get slower. So you're getting good results. Um, 
And the other thing I think that plays into that is college um, running is predominantly coached. Females are predominantly coached by males. Mm. Um, There's nothing wrong with that situation. It's just how it is um, in the NCAA and even after college. Most There's very few. I can't even think of a professional female coach out there. Mm. Um, So That's a really good point. Yeah, and I think this has a big impact on why it's um, just sort of brushed under the mat because male coaches know about it. You know, they're not blind. It's not that they don't see it happening. Um, One, there's, you know, they're the male, they're the one in charge, and it's a sensitive issue to talk about. Mm -hmm. And it's not that they're ignorant or that they don't know, but they just – they don't really know how to communicate that to a college or yeah, a college female athlete. Um, And they've never lived it. So there's nothing right. There's nothing telling them I need to protect these, this younger generation. Cause I think like women would have a tendency, like if you were a a female coach, you Mm -hmm. would have an inclination to be like, I would really like to protect these younger athletes from what Mm -hmm. I went through. Um, So Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, and um, and and I I think about this now more because I have been fortunate to, you know, my college coach does talk about that in a very discreet way, but he knows it happens out there and he he handles it well, um, which is why I was never injured or benched um, in college. But I don't think that's the case nationwide. Um, it's just sort of looked at as like you need to get, you know, help from someone else. But then the bad thing is, is that these coaches are paid for by performances. So they don't, they, I don't, I'm not going to take the words out of their mouth, but they don't want to see their athletes start running slower Mm -hmm. because that could be detrimental to them as well. You know, if, if their team's not performing or whatever the case may be. So I think it's more of just that one, it needs to be talked about and somehow there needs to be a dialogue or a training on how these male coaches can talk to female runners or get them the help that they need because the, the, the female runner also thinks that no one else understands what they're going through. And if you're being referred to, you know, someone who's a non-runner or has no idea what you're doing, it's not even relatable and nothing's really going to come of that conversation. Um, but that runner really looks up to that male coach and whether they think they'll have an impact or not, if you avoid the conversation, you never will. But if you have that conversation, you're more likely to make an impact and help that person than let it continue on. Hmm. So that that's kind of why I think this is an issue in our sport and that it continues to be is because um, it's just it's predominantly male and that's just how it is. But it can be changed. <laughs> I'm sure. Hopeful. Yeah. Well, and I think the point you're making is not that the problem is that there's male coaches. The problem is that no one has developed a protocol or dialogue that is like universal and meant to prevent this from happening. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah it's, yeah. it's nothing on the coach in general, you know, it's just how, how you handle that situation, how you communicate that to a female who, you know, they have no idea what it's like or mm-hmm. one, either having an eating disorder or two being female in general. So yeah, <laughs> you know, right. There's, well, there's, there's more differences there than yeah. there are like, so yeah. Well, I think that's a really great point. And I think that, um, I think part of it too, is that like, like with any movement or big change, um, I don't, I don't think that, like, I think that if it became a requirement that all NCAA programs had to have like this developed, um, like standards and protocol for the health of their female athletes and their Mm -hmm. male athletes, I think that, you know, if that was something that was like implemented nationwide, then we would see a huge shift, right? But because there's no incentive or there's no, um, you know, I don't know, like, even there's no if, like education. Or- sure. Yeah. And I also think that it should be better tracked, you know, like, I think that if you have a bunch of women getting injured all the time, then that data should be, I think, relevant and gather, you know, like, I think that it should reflect poorly on a program if you know, say, you know, 70% of the athletes have, you know, dealt with injuries, you know, because I think that that's like, it shows that there's a, there's something going on, you know, either in the culture or, um, in the coaching. But I think that because that doesn't exist, like you said, it can just kind of be swept under the rug unless the coach, you know, is mindful of that and wants to make it, a topic of conversation, which is very difficult to do, to do if they haven't yeah. had the training. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Um, well, man, <laughs> tough stuff. Um, <laughs> I feel bad because I like, just like totally asked you like this, like question that has a lot of weight to it <laughs> and we're like right oh, at the yeah. end of the time. Um, but I, Hopefully I do. Someone out there has, has benefited from it, even if it's just one person, you know? Oh, sure. Yeah. And I, and I think it's really important and obviously it's not something that's going to be solved, um, probably anytime soon, but I think that having the conversation more is, is a positive step. Um, <laughs> well, it is 5.50 and I know – well, 5.50 for me. Yeah. <laughs> um, 3.50 for you and I know that you have uh, weightlifting that you need to get to. So yep. um, I'm going to let you go and I just want to thank you for being willing to chat with me. I know that the listeners will be really excited to hear your voice. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I'm really glad you had me on. I'm sorry it took a little while but oh, we, no we, got it, we got it done. <laughs> All right, everybody. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Tara. She was a very highly requested guest, and I know why. She is a comeback story that makes you feel good, and she's a great example of someone who has overcome a lot in her career to ultimately be at the place where she knows what her body needs for her healthiest performances. I have a little gut feeling that we will continue to be impressed and inspired by Tara in the future. Because Tara and I discuss an important topic, I want to provide listeners with as much useful information as possible on the female athlete triad. I'm going to create a blog post under the goodies section on the website that listeners can utilize if they want to learn more. If you're interested in learning more about Tara, you can follow her on Instagram at Tara underscore Welling. And if you would like for Tara to be your coach, who wouldn't? 
Go to www.rundoyan.com. The link can also be found in the show notes on iTunes. If you would like to learn more about me, the show, or the After School Running Program Initiative, you can follow me on Instagram at ChasingBravery06, or you can visit my website, www.chasingbravery.com. All right, everyone, I hope you're all making it through the winter and staying warm. Have a great rest of your week, and remember, whatever you are chasing, chase bravely.